after Jesus Christ, who is he, is the question that resounds. This is the theme that constantly is repeated as Jesus encounters many different people leading to his final um, destination, which is Jerusalem. But before we get there, we must, must have to deal with Matthew 16. This is uh, the episode in which the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to Jesus to test him. And it is important that it comes right on the heels of what we have seen previous, which is Jesus healing a woman of her household being possessed by a demon. Her daughter was oppressed, and she called out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he said, Great is your faith, O woman. And he healed her That's that moment by the word of his mouth. And then he fed 4,000 people. And right after that, now we're going to jump in to a transition. Jesus, most likely, if you can imagine a, a, the Sea of Galilee, which is a small uh, lake, that on the east side of it was a lot of Gentile people, and on the west side of it was a lot of Jewish people. Most likely, Jesus was on the east side of the lake where he fed the 4,000. Most likely, Gentile people, non-Jewish people. Then we're told he got into a boat, and now he's back on the west side, and lo and behold, he encounters the quintessential Jewish leaders the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Two sides of the same lake. Absolutely different perceptions of Jesus Christ. Let's see how this works. It says this, And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening... You say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. Now you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, that's a long answer to say, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. His rebuke to them is this. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them. That's it. And he departed. Let that sink in. He just fed 4,000 people. He's been healing people left and right. And they came and asked for a sign, and he said, no, goodbye. It's important. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread? And Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets were gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets were gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Then he just repeats himself. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The question of who is Jesus Christ finds this transitional story between some really remarkable miracles and then what will actually culminate to a wonderful climax in chapter 17 as Jesus demonstrates himself to be the Lord of glory. It's what we call the transfiguration. Between those two high points of knowledge of Jesus, the miracles, the feedings, 4,000, 5,000, and then for him to glow uh, with the light of the sun and the voice from heaven to call down and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Between those two high points, there's this very dark ravine we just read of with the Pharisees and the Sadducees in which no light is given them. No light is shined their way so that they might perceive who Jesus is. And it all predicates on this fact that they came to him to test him. See, Jesus is not willing to entrust himself to those who test him. Jesus entrusts himself to those who have trust in him. But he will not entrust himself to those who do not have trust in him. This is very counterintuitive to everything we think of when it comes to knowing anything. But then again, God is not like anything. So maybe he's not a science project. Maybe he's not looking for weather patterns. You could be a great meteorologist, Jesus said. You could be a terrible theologian. Two different types of knowledge. So he says particularly, no, I I will not do any of this. I will not give you any signs. We know how this is, though. And why would Jesus respond this way? Think of this. Has anyone here ever been uh, summoned for jury duty? In a room like this, there's at least a few of us who had the experience. Um, I know my, my brother-in-law actually did, did that once, and he had stories after he was allowed to tell me, of course, of what it was like um, and the amount of uh, detail and work that goes into it. But we know how this works. If you were summoned to jury duty, they take hundred so people and they whittle them down to say who could actually sit on this jury to evaluate this case. Why do they do that? Because we know of the reality of personal bias. Just normally in human experience, it's pretty clear, right? So for example, if you have a personal history with a particular story, they want to know about that. They want to pull that out and find that and see if it's going to affect the information that you you understand in this jury. So if there were, say, a case of like, uh, a vehicular homicide, right, where someone was uh, uh, killed by a, a vehicle accident and it's questioned as to if there was negligence or all these things. The, if they find out, right, that you have a personal friend or family who suffered uh, under a reckless vehicle accident, you're gone. Like, you're not going to be in that jury, right? We know that. Why? Because you'll have, you will be so personally invested into the story that it will cloud your judgment and your perception of the facts. That's exactly what's going on. People come to Jesus and say, we'd like to test you now to find out who you are. And normally you would think, here it is, Jesus. Here's your time to shine. Show them. 
And Jesus simply says, no. It all has to do with personal bias. Because there really is no fact in all of the world that is more personally involved than the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. And that he has come to die on a cross for you, for your sins, so that you might not die under God's just condemnation. Believing that fact or not believing that fact immediately affects you personally. There is no way you can approach this story without being in some way personally invested to either be against it or for it. But the fact is, there's no way it's a neutral fact, as though the sky is blue and the grass is green. If he is the Lord of glory, everything changes. If he is the one who he says he is, there is no fact in all of your life that is not touched by this. So personal bias is at the highest level, like 100% personal bias. So when people come to Jesus to evaluate him, or to look for him, he doesn't treat anyone who isn't looking at him through some form of faith in any seriousness. This is so counterintuitive to everything. So the Pharisees, we've understood Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees back and forth, off and on, is because of their particular pride. Uh, They have an oral tradition that they hold on the same level of Scripture, and so therefore their teaching and their perspective and everything Jesus is supposed to be for them is preconditioned on what they think is right, and Jesus won't give in to any of that. So here what we'll see, as we look at their interaction, Jesus and these Pharisees and Sadducees, I want to see three steps, and this this is remarkable to me. Uh, When Michael Madovich entered uh, the pulpit uh, this morning to begin to uh, call us to worship, he went straight to uh, repentance. It's like, okay, we're in a church, it's Sunday morning, it's probably a good chance that we're probably going to mention that word once. And then he mentioned the Greek word, and I'm like, all right, this is weird. Because like my notes, I mean, my notes are this. It's, it's remarkable to me. This is evidently what the Lord has for us this morning. Problem to solution. Three steps. Mind, Repentance and understanding. In English, they sound like different words. In Greek, they're the same word. The word for mind is nous. Word repentance is metanoeo, metanoia. No, the, the no is the word, the change of mind. And understanding is noeo. The word for mind is nous. Metanoia is a change of mind. And understanding or perception is noeo all rooted in the Greek word for mind, which is nous. This is three steps to our human problem. And when you read something like this, when Jesus won't give people evidence, when they're asking for evidence, and that baffles you, and you say, this story doesn't make sense, I hope that it will by the end. Because if this story begins to make sense, then you actually are understanding the gospel, like really getting it. That we first have to acknowledge the problem that our mind is structured in a self-sufficient, autonomous, arrogant fashion. Our mind, our intellection is structured wrong. That's the problem. have to acknowledge that. Leading toward the solution. Therefore, we need to change our mind. Metanoia. Repent. And if we do that, turn from our 
self-proud, arrogant, self-sufficient mind, our autonomous human reason, if we turn away from that and look upon Jesus Christ, what follows is understanding. Noel. Perception. Intellection. Information that is perceived. Which is the question of this whole sermon series. Who is he? Well, you're going to have to perceive who he is. How are you going to perceive who he is? Your mind is broken. You cannot see that. It's like asking someone who's colorblind, please, could you, could you look at the green for me? I can't look at the green. I don't have the ability. I don't have the rods in my eyes to look at green. Say, could you please see the glory of Jesus? That's not possible in the present state of our mind. Jesus knows that. So he passes over them. Because they're not willing to do the second part, which is repent. Change your mind. I hope to make this clear. The first step is this then, the mind. Genesis 6, 5. God's description of all humanity. He says this. Theologians speak of the noetic effects of the fall. Noetic meaning noose, mind. The effects of sin, our corruption, affecting our intellect, our mind. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw all of humanity, all the world, the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And the phrase is this, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Kind of expansive. You know, there's not much wiggle room with that verse. To be like, yeah, but he's kind of good. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The word there for intention in the Hebrew means many things. One is something formed or structured or shaped. When it refers to the mind, as it does here, it usually means characteristic or attitude or purpose. So the characteristic of the mind, the attitude of the human mind, the purpose of the human mind is geared toward thoughts of the heart which are evil continually. Yetzer is the word that means formed or fashioned or impressed or shaped. So, for me, the way this makes beautiful sense in my mind, uh, to be simple enough, is uh, ice cube trays. You know, if you've ever been keeping up on what's been going on with ice cube trays lately, uh, you're going to really be impressed. I mean, ice cube trays are making a comeback. They really are. PJ nodded his head. He knows. Um, ever since that time where refrigerators started making ice, ice cube trays have had a hard time at it, I'm be honest with you. But the reality is, now we have ice cube trays that are not hard, rigid, plastic ice cube trays. Uh, they're soft, rubbery ones that can make lots of different shapes. They're pretty cool. You don't have to make rigid, little cube shapes. You can make nice, flat, round-shaped ice cubes. So the sermon's over now. Let's go home. If you can think that way, this verse makes so much sense. Every shape, intention, formation of the thought of his heart is only evil continually. We have an ice cube tray problem in our brains. The grid of our intellection is like one of those nasty old plastic ice cube trays from the 90s before refrigerators really got their act together. Every time you pour water into them, 
lo and behold, you get cubes. And you cannot get anything else but cubes. Because the intention of the, the intention, the information, we talk about being informed. How about being informed? What forms the water that hits those trays is cubes. Cubes all around, cubes for everybody. But now we live in such, and I hope we can appreciate now, where we live in this transition of the culture of human civilization is that we can now have rubbery ice cube trays that make circles. Praise God for that. But the reality, how this hits to the gospel is, that's exactly how the gospel works. You have to change your mind. You have to repent. Get rid of your old ice cube tray that is always rigidly cubed in your unbelief. Get a new ice cube tray. Repent. Change your mind and go find the other tray that makes nice little circle, circle ice cube circles. You can't call them cubes. Ice circles that, that are of faith. Get a, get a mind that has faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, all the information that you gather points to Jesus. Because all the water poured upon your mind forms faithful ice cubes. See, our minds are not neutral. Our minds are rigidly structured to oppose the one true and living God. Therefore, any information that could be poured or informed into our forming minds will have to take the structure of autonomous, proud, arrogant, human unbelief. You can get nothing else but cubed ice cubes in this tray. So the gospel, again, to hear it fresh this morning is, Jesus speaks the gospel and says, Repent and believe in me. That is the first call to action. No other call to action on our part makes any sense unless you first return to him in faith and then understand him to be the Lord of glory. Let's see how this plays out. You find this with the reality of the problem, that our mind is framed. There's a frame of mind is framed to make unbelieving ice cubes. The solution, therefore, is to get a new ice cube tray. Change your mind. Repent. And the result is understanding. So the Pharisees came and they tested him. They asked to see a sign from heaven. This is a big one. This isn't like uh, healing somebody or uh, just doing a few miracles down here. We want to see something that's showing us that you're the Messiah. Like, do something remarkable. A sign from heaven. Jesus speaks of the weather and says, In the evening, when the sky is red, you'll know. You'll know it would be fair weather the next day. In the morning, if it's red and it also is threatening, you know that there's going to be a storm. You know these things. You're thinking of me as a weather pattern of the created world. I'm the one who made the created world. You can't test me like this. I will not be tested this way. I am God, you see. One of the great commandments of the Old Testament is, do not test the Lord. Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan wants him to do miracles, and he says, I will not test the Lord. He cannot be tested this way. So they approach him to test him, to rule over him, to look down upon him, and test him and make him do their things. But he is the Lord of glory. That's impossible. He refuses, outright refuses. He has no obligation to enter into their circus. So he simply says, no, goodbye. Do you see? So when everyone isn't believing in Jesus, 
and they say, I never found any good evidence for Jesus, Jesus would say, you're right, because I haven't given you any. That's the problem. Every atheist that ever existed. Yeah, there's a reason you're an atheist. Because you don't believe upon the Son. And if you won't come to him humbly through faith, he is not obliged to give you any more light than you have the next morning when your eyes open. And everything he's made, if that is not sufficient, then you are condemned in that sufficiency of your insufficiency. And the Pharisees are in that place. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. He says, you know how to interpret the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He's saying, this is the messianic age. This is the Messiah. I am the one who's fulfilling all these prophecies that you study every day. But look why. The reason they're culpable, the reason this isn't just a mistake, my young daughters are small, and it, I can't go a day without finding milk spilt somewhere. I mean like from a week ago or like a month ago, like milk in a corner of a room. Like I didn't even know how you could get milk back there. But they do. They just, and those are mistakes. No one, no one, no one did anything wrong. You're, you're small. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to spill milk everywhere. And it's funny. It's cute. Kind of. <laughs> but see, their mistake is not that. Look at what Jesus says. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for these signs. No, 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 no. This is a moral mistake. They are trying to exalt themselves over God and test the Lord as though they were above the Lord. And that is the fatal flaw. You will get nothing from the Lord if you approach him with pride like that. You'll get as much as they do, which is this, and you still will get something. That's his good grace, you see. Even if you want to come at the Lord with pride and look to have him do some tricks for you, he simply says, I have done one, the cross. And even an adulterous generation looks for signs and wonders. And even in your pride, you still get one sign from him. No other sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and he will resurrect to glory. That's the one he's going to give. No extra, no more. This is why Jesus refuses. Because it's a moral problem. It's not an information problem. Now, I can say this not just from the story, but if you consider for a moment the whole gospel. What is the message of the gospel? Jesus consistently treats people this way. Those who come to him gently, humbly in faith, he gives them more light. He increases their faith. So, for example, the woman who he called a dog, what did she say to him? Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. He gave her a messianic title. He was already, she was already beginning to believe upon him as being the Messiah. And lo and behold, he responds positively with a greater evidence that he is the Messiah. He does an even greater miracle for her and confirms her in her faith along. You see, you have to repent and believe in order to understand. You do not understand in order that you might believe. She had to come to him and say, you are the son of David. Now please do this miracle for me. And Jesus never turned anyone away that way. But every time someone comes with no faith at all, 
There's no intellectual room for them to appropriate the miracle. They don't have the formation in their ice cube tray. Jesus is not going to pour water on that ice cube tray. He's not going to give them information because all of his great miracles and works of power will simply be informed in skeptical unbelief. You have to remember the gospel ends with Jesus resurrected, presented, eyewitnesses all around. And it says, and some did not believe. Because in their mind, there is no evidence that could convince them. That is the nature of our noetic Corruption. The only way to change the noose, the mind, is metanoia, repentance. Get a new tray. Because this tray is never going to work. And those who choose to, even with the smallest faith, not knowing exactly who Jesus is, but saying enough to know, even a Gentile woman who doesn't even know the scriptures, knows enough that the Jews call their Messiah son of David. She said it, and it was enough for everything. Jesus said, if you have faith just like so small as a seed, you can move mountains. All it needs is a little faith. For example, in Matthew 13, again, we know that Jesus spoke to his hometown of Nazareth. And this is the way he's done all things. We're told he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now you would think it's because they don't believe you need to do a miracle to prove to them. No, you believe so that you might understand. The most explicit example is the way this story falls. For example, before this, Jesus fed 4,000 people from just a few loaves of bread. That's remarkable. The Pharisees come and say, we want to see from you a sign from heaven. That's chapter 16. What's chapter 17? Jesus shines with glory and the voice from heaven says a sign from heaven this is my son in whom I am well pleased do you realize that's right next to the point where the Pharisees and the Sadducees without trusting in Christ asked for a sign the very sign from heaven that is given only to his disciples that they do get the sign from heaven Right next to each other. Do you see the point being made? Unless you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You could never know he is the Lord Jesus Christ. You must believe so that you might understand. Every time you lean upon the Lord in faith. He will confirm that faith with greater and greater evidences of his goodness and glory and grace to you in the gospel. So the gospel is what it is. It's not as though we understand the gospel and then we need to devise some proofs to prove that Jesus is the Christ. No, you have to repent and believe and then you'll be saved because you'll see Jesus to be the Lord of glory. There is no other way to do it. The human mind is so corrupted, there is no other way to apprehend him. The word apprehension is used in the text. So if they can change their mind, that is, the disciples who saw the transfiguration are the ones who truly repented. They left everything to follow Jesus. They left their homes, their jobs, their houses. They followed Jesus for three years. And they're the ones you see that saw the transfiguration. The Pharisees stopped by, got a plane ticket up north just to test him one time. And Jesus said, I don't have time for you. And you evidently don't have time for me. So be gone. 
No sign. But look at the difference now. As the Pharisees and Sadducees are dismissed, their minds are renewed. The disciples have a little faith, and it makes a world of difference. Jesus said this to them. Now, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then, of course, they begin to discuss among themselves, oh, man, we just passed up like 7,000 loaves of bread, and we didn't bring in one, like not even one Ziploc baggie. Of course, they're thinking this way, and Jesus says, oh, my. Oh, you, here's the phrase he points to them often, of little faith, not no faith. It's all the world of difference. Just a little faith to trust in Christ. Why are you discussing among yourselves you have no bread? And here's the word. Do you not yet noeo, perceive? Which is connected to the word nous, which is mind. And connected to the word metanoia, which is to change your mind. Changing your mind is having faith in Jesus. So even if you have a little faith, you've turned away from the world. You've left everything to follow me. Even in your little faith, can you not perceive? Can you not see? The Pharisees and Sadducees never were able to perceive. But this conversation continues with his disciples. Do you not remember, he says, the five loaves to the 5,000, the seven loaves to the 4,000? And then he says this again, a reiterating of the same word. How do you fail to understand, noeo? I do not speak about bread. And all Jesus does here is he repeats himself. He doesn't explain it any further. It's important. Because you would think, oh, they don't understand my phrase. Therefore, I'm going to explain to them what leaven means. Mm -mm. There's a point for this. Jesus simply just says what he said the first time. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they say, oh, talking about the false teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What does all this mean? How do you change? The, the frustration in the Christian life, myself pastorally, particularly even being alongside people suffering, or even being alongside people who have particular patterns that you would say, you could change this, but it's hard to change. You have to renounce everything and trust in Christ. And that statement has many, many layers that you would only begin at the very beginning of your walk with Christ. In the smallest level of faith, understand that he is a big deal. And then the next year you understand he's a really big deal. And then next year you understand he's a really, really big deal. That you continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller in your own eyes. And he becomes greater and greater and greater in your own eyes. That you would lower yourself more and more in humility. And he would be exalted in greater and greater glory. That takes a lot of time. And Jesus, instead of giving them all the answers, simply says, Let me repeat to you this word that you might hear it again and meditate on it more that you would be formed, that you would be sanctified, that you would have understanding, that you would have perception. So the reality of all this deals with the fact that Jesus Christ has given us one great sign, 
the cross. There is nothing else. Right? So say, I, I have a little faith in Jesus. I want to understand who he is. And you're telling me this counterintuitive principle that I should believe in order that I understand. But what if I don't have any faith at all? What if I can't even understand the concepts of Jesus? I have this, this I hit this wall regularly, particularly discipling men, in which they can do anything. They can read a 50,000 books for work. They can have a PhD in astrophysics. And they're like, I just don't understand the Bible. Like, I really can't be in a men's group. I don't really understand the Bible. It's like, oh, well, it's not an intellectual problem. And it's not because you don't have the discipline. You evidently do wonderful things throughout the rest of your life. See, the issue is, will you submit your whole being to Jesus Christ? Will you renounce the whole world to have Jesus? Repent of everything. All the frames and structures of your mind, the way you categorize information, and the way you value everything from A to Z, Get it all gone. Let it go. And reorient your mind to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you were trusting him that way, everything will open up. He will reveal himself to you as the Lord of glory. It's only right after this that Jesus will say, if you are my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's the only way to start knowing Jesus Christ. And so that's the frustration of saying, how can you really change? You can't change by looking at the things you need to change and try to change them. You can only change by literally renewing your whole mind and laying everything at the feet of Jesus and asking him to give you a new tray, a new framework, a new mind frame in which he would fill them with the categories as he has determined them because he made everything. That's the only beginning. Like, to be a disciple, you have to be a small child. Jesus actually meant it that way. You can, like, the, the, the point of a child, the plasticity of the child's psychology is that they know nothing yet. They don't know the difference if there's a monster in their closet or if monsters aren't real. They're literally processing the whole world for the first time to find out what is true and what is false. And unless you approach the Lord Jesus Christ with that much flexibility, again, I have to take credit for this amazing illustration that now they make rubber ice cube trays that move and stretch. Like, you have to do that with your mind. You have to repent. You have to change then you can understand. And the difference between the disciples and the Pharisees is their story ends with noeo, perception. Ah, oh, they said, now I know what Jesus means. Because they've renounced all things to follow him. And then he imparts himself with greater knowledge to them. As we close, if you're thinking to yourself, but I don't have great faith in Jesus Christ. You have to remember Jesus' words. Even for an evil and adulterous generation, there still is one great sign. The sign of Jonah. The sign of the cross. Do you understand even on the cross they were testing him? 
Matthew 27. They came to Golgotha and there they crucified him. Those who passed by derided him and issued this test. To test the God who was saving their soul. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, they said to him, save yourself. And if you are the son of God, then you can come down from that cross. They test him. And he doesn't take the test. Why? One great sign. He had to go. He had to die. He had to rise so that he could say to all generations, any evil, adulterous generation that has no knowledge of God and has no faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's okay. Take your mind, meditate upon the cross that he died for you, that he rose again. And even if you don't believe it, fall on your knees, meditate upon it repetitively, repetitively. And his promise is, that's your sign. You'll find me there. He'll honor that. Because the only way you can go to the cross like that is on your knees. And God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. This is the one sign that will rule the nations. And exhaust all unbelief. Dear Father God, we ask, Lord, that you would change our minds. We understand this has begun. We understand it's not over. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we renounce all false teaching. All we have is the true gospel that you've given us, Lord, and that is enough. Let us be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees. Father, that we might know what is true, that we might believe so that we might understand. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you please stand if you're able?
let me encourage you uh, once again just to stick around and enjoy a cup of coffee.